and welcome to Listen to These Nerds. Today we've got a special non-actual play episode. Uh, an interview with Dave Chalker, the lead designer for the Sentinel Comics RPG, or is it uh, Sentinel Comics The RPG? I, I always Sentinel Comics that. role-playing game is the official title with uh, Sentinel Comics RPG. We won't stand on ceremony. Okay. So uh, hopefully our listeners have enjoyed the uh, the start of the one-shot that we posted Fingers crossed last week, um, where we played the Stolen Legacy uh, game. So now that our listeners have kind of been introduced to the general idea of the game, I, I wanted to get into a little bit more of the specifics with you, Dave. So sure. if you don't mind me jumping right in. Well, let's do it. All right. So the gyro system, where did the, uh, the, the kind of idea for this kind of multi-stage system come in where you unlock things throughout the stages of a fight rather than having all of your toys kind of right out there in the beginning yeah it it sort of comes from two primary sources um one of which is the some of those the multiverse card game which is all based on so part of that is you know everyone plays a different hero you have a deck that's your hero and you start with nothing in front of you other than like your character card and you, you have a couple of cards in your hand and you have to build up as the game goes all this stuff you have access to. And as the game, you know, as, as the villains put out more stuff and, you know, there's more bad guys to punch and everything else and things are getting harder, you're also building up, right? So we couldn't have a game where you're in a role-playing game, you're kind of dropped in the middle of things and you don't remember any of the stuff you can normally do. Like that just doesn't make sense as a role-playing game. Um, so we wanted to have a way that kind of mirrored that idea where, you know, you start kind of in humble beginnings and uh, then it starts to ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. The other thing is it's just a very comic book thing. That's not, often represented where, you know, Superman does not bring his all to every fight. If they're just like ordinary human bank robbers, you know, he, he holds back. He doesn't uh, bring every ounce out of himself. Like it's just doesn't make sense for him to be exhausting himself all the time. And so we wanted a game that kind of mirrors that idea where, you know, while things are somewhat in control, yes, there's still lives at stake. There's still important things going on. You're still striving to, to get things done, but um, you don't start at 11, you know, and um, just just dive right in with, with all your stuff. And this way, like, the, the action builds and it more closely resembles, like, a, you know, a comic book story of how things ramp up. Definitely from the, uh, the games I've played of it, uh, there's a very nice narrative arc to the combat mm. that you don't usually see. Usually it's either an alpha strike or a grind in most games I've found with people either using all of their best moves right at the start or just the, the constant kind of back and forth of, well, you take a hit and I'll take a hit and you'll take a hit and I'll take a hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's part of also one of the, the benefits that also was kind of a problem we wanted to fix was, you know, instead of a, a, a fight feeling the same and you're doing the same things every time it really is something where your tactics and your focus and everything have to change from around around. And also the, the resources that you have at hand also change as things go on. Yeah. I I think uh, one of the big parts of that I've noticed uh, 
between playing and watching some of the uh, the official Greater Than Games uh, campaigns is uh, definitely the the environment plays a big role in a lot of these, uh, making the combat a little bit more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the environments were another thing that we really wanted to pull forward from the card game, where you know the environments, like where you're having the action, plays almost as big a role in you know who you're fighting um and in a role-playing game you can get into a lot of other scenarios where it's not just you're fighting the villain it's also um instead you might just be rescuing people from an active volcano that and there's also dinosaurs or something you know that kind of thing you can represent with having the environments be more of a character um and it's definitely something we wanted to uh to bring over um for me also as as someone who tends to be pretty lazy when planning sessions as a GM. Uh, I think it's also nice to be able to slap together like, okay, here's my villain and here's my environments and things will shake out from there and we're good to go. As a similarly lazy GM, I, I applaud this, uh, this easygoing uh, prep for mm-hmm. these. Uh, um, I know that with the Greater Than Games campaigns, they did uh, a lot of the pre-session stuff. They showed a lot of the, the behind-the-scenes. What can you tell us about uh, just, like, how that uh, creation goes for villains and uh, environments? Because I, I know that a lot of people put a lot more focus on the, the character creation, but I, I'm interested in looking at it as somebody who's probably going to be running this from a more GM's perspective. Yeah, yeah, we definitely wanted a lot of pieces in the core book that you know support both sides of the, the screen you could say um so there's going to be rules in the, the core book that's on kickstarter now that's um you can put together villains and you kind of um put together multiple categories you, you kind of do a combinatorial thing to say the villain kind of works like this and has this kind of approach to things and that kind of gives you like how many dice they should have, what what spread of things they should get, and that gives you a lot of the the bases. Um, and while heroes have the the green, yellow, red thing that dictates one of the dice that's in their dice pool, um, you choose for your villain what thing they care about in place. And some of the villains do just care, you know, they they also have green, yellow, red, but some of them also care about uh, how many minions they still have running around, you know, how command they are in their forces, or their villains that primarily work with other villains. And so they get better when they're in a team of other villains, but as their allies go down, they get weaker. Um, so you make those kinds of decisions up front for, for how to put together those villains um, and kind of take a, this kind of building block approach in order to get them together. And then there's also ways to tweak them based on, you know, what they're doing in the story. Is it just going to be the one villain versus everybody, and so you kind of need to ramp up their power? Or is it going to be, you know, a full villain team that you're just going to be going up against? And, you know, do you need to scale the villain up or down appropriately? Um, that all is going to be in there. And likewise with the environments, the environments are a little more granular step-by-step, but um, once you've seen how they work in some of the published adventures, you know, it's pretty easy to put together, you know, starting with, you know, what are the three core traits of the environments? You assign some dice values to them for their strength, and then you get to attach different twists and other 
threats that, um, you know, we, we have lists that you can pull from, you can pull from other environments that we'll provide in the book and just kind of mash them up all together. And, um, you know, again, hopefully, like, if you really want to get into the weeds and spend some extra time planning, you can totally do that, which I think both Paul and Christopher did on the live streams a little more than I would do. Um, they're, you know, much more into that side of prep than I am. But we, so that's supported, but also my method of, uh, I just want to jam these things together and go. Uh, I think we've also provided tools for that. Yeah, no, that's, uh, uh, I, I'm glad to see that we don't quite need to go to, into like Christopher's levels of, uh, of prepping for the environment. I know he put a lot of work into, uh, several of those environments, uh, like setting out what twists were going to be going on and all kinds of different lieutenants and minions that would be spawned out of that. Right. Um, now this one, this question is a little bit more specific to the, the, uh, stolen legacy one shot I just ran. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I apologize if this isn't quite as applicable to the, the general game, but I found when I was playing that I didn't have a lot for the environment to be doing during the fights with, uh, inductor and tear. And, uh, I'm, on one hand, I could be playing it completely wrong. I freely admit that I might uh, only skim rules sometimes. So mm-hmm. uh, I just found the environment turned was just taking down the tracker during those fights uh, rather than having any actual interactions between uh, the players and the environment. Uh, yeah, there's kind of two levels. Um, I'd have to look at that scene directly, but there's ones where like there's just the scene and there's just a tracker and there's not a full-on environment. You know, it's just things are regressing, but the environment isn't really a character. Um, but then there are full-blown environments that have a list of different threats that you can kind of pull in on its turn. And a lot of the time that's just, you know, whatever thing the environment has spawned um, takes a turn. But there's also different environmental twists that um, can show up in the environment's turn. Um, actually, I've got the book here. Um, yeah, if it's the initial one, right. Um, the environment, the Curse Legacy Park one, um, like the police can get involved or there's a news chopper that, uh, starts to get in the way of flying heroes and that kind of thing. And these are all things that you can pull in to kind of liven up the scene on top of, uh, fighting along with the monsters. Okay. Cause I, um, again, this is possible. I just misread it. Uh, but, uh, when I was playing, I didn't realize I could pull twists without the, uh, players, uh, doing partial success on a overcome role or taking risky actions. Right. Yeah. The, the, also when the environment takes its turn, you also do one of their twists. Oh, okay. Um, and then the environments also is another source of twists for situations like that where someone rolls a minor twist. All right. Well, uh, I, I apologize to our listeners for do, for giving them a poor example of how to uh, run a game of Sentinels. Hopefully, uh, when we do urban infestation uh, in the coming weeks, uh, the the environment will be a little bit more lively. So, uh, thank you for that. Um, yep, no problem. I wrote urban infestation, so hopefully you enjoy it. It's it's full of bugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I I, I look forward to it. Um, so. Uh, I guess uh, since we're t- talking about these uh, these uh, daybreak adventures, uh, 
and uh, since those came with a kind of pre-built team, do you find that in Sentinels uh, there's a emphasis on niche protection with the, uh, with team building, or is it more of a anybody can play anything and generally things will work out fine? Yeah, so with um, with creating your own hero specifically, most of the steps you could overlap on all the heroes and choose similar things and everyone would still be able to contribute. Um, there is a step in the character creation process where you select your archetype and those you don't want to quite have enough um, overlap on because then your characters kind of feel the same. But really, you know, we took inspiration from the comics, obviously, and are more interested in having heroes that can all contribute to scenes and do interesting things and then make them balanced or worry about, like, you know, oh, you can only have one shooty guy on the team or whatever, right? Um, we wanted to make it so that, you know, it's more diversity in character concepts and allowing everybody to always have stuff that they can do. So, you know, it's um, the way the initiative works kind of goes towards that. The fact that it's a system where, you know, you generally succeed at things you're doing. It's just how much do you succeed and is there any consequences thereof? And, you know, where does it drive the story? Versus, you know, some other system where if you had two characters of completely different power levels or, um, you know, one character who can't possibly hit, you know, some kind of other thing. Um, not to throw shade on anything else, just, you know, as far as our philosophy goes, um, we wanted to make sure that everyone, you know, could contribute in all situations and could kind of share the, the comic panel screen time together. Um, so that's kind of what drove us and what I think kind of deals with that, with that situation. Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. I, I have been in many a, a superhero game where, Two people took two different philosophies to build their characters, and uh, one came out a little bit better than the other. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, yeah, no, definitely. In our one shot, we actually had a player come in kind of halfway through. I didn't want to give her uh, Murto because he's a little uh, he's more complicated than a lot of he's more, Yeah, yeah, he is a little yep. bit more complicated. I actually do want to get back to him in a little bit, but mm-hmm. because I also had the starter kit handy, I just uh, handed her. The Freedom 5 and said, okay, pick one of these, and uh, she uh, grabbed Absolute Zero, and uh, despite being, you know, this established adult hero, he kind of fit in just fine with the rest of the the party. He wasn't overpowered compared to the rest of Daybreak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really reminded me of the, uh, of how uh, a character is just as, is about as powerful as the, the guy he's standing next to, or what I like you call the Batman-Superman problem. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, and, you know, in those specific cases, they both have things that they're doing. Like, you know, one's not just like, well, guess I'm not going to participate here, even though it's my comic book. You know, I'm just going to take a nap. Um, they, they both, you know, obviously have extremely disparate power levels, but they're both contributing and doing things based on their character uh, to move the story forward, and that's you know, what we really wanted to focus on. Um, and, you know, about 
this specifically in the difference between like one of the daybreak heroes for one of the daybreak adventures and one of the freedom five um they were all built using the same character creation system that will be in the book for people to make their own heroes so it's not like you know absolute zero is like 50 more points or whatever uh more than the daybreak heroes they're all just made through the same system uh so you know they're going to be whatever kind of of um balance you want to call it that way um they're they're both they both play by the same rules i guess you could say is the the important bit yeah definitely um so uh speaking of character creation uh there have been uh, a couple examples that uh greater than games has, has done um but there's been uh, one element that I personally am super interested in that hasn't really been shown, and that's creating a character with multiple modes, like uh, Murto and uh, Bunker, right. who who je- aren't just static. They can kind of change as the situation demands it. Is there any difference to creating a character with modes versus just the uh, a character who's you know all fits on one page? Right. So they are definitely more complicated, but we felt they were that kind of character is um important to being able to make all the Sentinels characters and, and have that kind of character be present. Um so as I said before, one of the steps in character creation is picking your archetype and one of the archetypes you can go into, uh we put in big letters at the beginning, don't make one of these as your first character because it's complicated. But as kind of an advanced option, you can have a modular character as your archetype that allows you to pick these different modes and kind of customize them to your character and talk about how they transform from one mode to another and make all those options. And so that's how Bunker and Muerto were created through that kind of thing. And you could still make, you know, there's still plenty of other different kinds of modular characters you could create um through that process um but that's that's all in in the core book as uh one of the character creation options um we're also going to have divided characters which are characters like Ra, who transforms from you know a regular archaeologist to a figure with the power of a god uh so that would be a divided hero um also if you were say like a nerdy scientist who gets angry and turns into a giant green monster Divided also kind of covers that, along with some other uh, examples of kind of, uh, you know, vastly different character types within one hero. All right, that uh, that sounds uh, pretty cool. Um, what about uh, Unity? Because I know Unity in uh, the starter kit has some kind of different mechanics going for her. Uh, is she also a separate archetype? Yep, Minion Maker is another archetype, and uh, you get to select what kind of different forms your minions can take and some other associated options. And, um, you know, Unity's kind of all in on the minion making, like that's her, her primary thing. Whereas other characters might have more limited abilities to create their own minions and have broader other powers. Um, so it really depends on kind of what direction you want to go. But um, ultimately that, that character type is, is one of the archetypes uh, that's represented there. And then, you know, you make some more, decisions and uh, come through with a very different character than Unity, for example. Yeah, no, uh, that's that's very interesting because I, I know that uh, a lot of um, a lot of the 
power sources and uh, backgrounds have kind of been shown, but I, I don't know if a lot of the archetypes have really been uh, given much of a spotlight comparatively, uh, mm-hmm. at least in the research I've been able to do. Yeah, they have a bit more, um, I guess, mechanical weight to them. You know, they're you're further into the character creation process, and so you sort of have to have those grounding of those other steps first to really be able to, to go through it. It's really where, you know, a lot of those parts of the character start to come together. Um, but, you know, a lot of this will, I mean, it'll all be in the core book, and I, I think we'll have probably some more previews and whatnot coming up. Mm-hmm. So we keep an eye out for that. Yeah, definitely. I I will say I was a little disappointed that when the Kickstarter came out, there wasn't a option that's, uh, you know, get this tier to get character creation early. Cause I know uh, that's the thing my group has been most uh, interested in since we first tried the starter kit uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're definitely not alone. Um, you know, those aren't um, like greater than games is handling how that comes out. And a lot of that is like, we don't want to give like an unedited, <laughs> um, you know, placeholder arts of full of things we don't own document out there in the wild yet. Um, but mm-hmm. it's I, I can't promise this, but I, I'm fairly sure there will be some version of that that gets out to Kickstarter backers much sooner than the full PDF in some form or another. All right. Well, uh, I, I know that uh, my group hit, has uh, a bit of an ongoing uh, superhero campaign in our own setting, and we've been looking for a new system to, to hold on to it. So we're definitely planning to do a bit of a character creation thing when uh, when the Sentinels character creation comes out so we can remake all of our characters and mm-hmm. uh, in a new system. Um, sorry, just to continue with the character creation talk. Mm-hmm. During character creation, a lot of the the guided method is getting dice and rolling them and assigning those dice to your uh, abilities and qualities. Where did the idea to fold in the random rolling into the actual, like, Taking out your powers and qualities and assigning the dice there. So we worked on several versions of the character creation system, uh, and actually several of the early ones we entirely scrapped and, and kind of started over after playtesting a bunch. But we had the basics of the system first, and a number of the um, Freedom Five and other canon characters made in the system we liked. We just and we had to work backwards from there of, you know, how do we get the to this point in the first place? And part of that is we knew we didn't want some kind of point-by system for what we were trying to do. And as I said before, we really wanted to emulate comics where everybody could contribute, but, you know, their, their dice weren't going to be the same just because... These are very different kinds of characters and, you know, wouldn't really make sense. And instead of compensating for it, for it that way, we kind of just said, hey, look, we're going to have a system that creates characters of vastly different power levels, but that's okay. Because in play, you're still going to be able to do awesome stuff. You're still going to be able to do different stuff from each other um, and just accept that as the premise and then uh, go from there. And so the idea of using those dice you both narrow down your options, you know, so you're not like you, you're not always say with a, an analysis paralysis. You don't already have an idea of what character you want to make. Um, the dice provide 
some narrowing down of it that way, but also they provide these building blocks to the characters so that when you go from step to step, your spread of dice ends up being totally different from someone else's just by going through this process. And for me, it creates kind of more organic characters that way and um, more surprising ones that, you know, might have different things where if you just were presented with the entire menu at once, you know, you might go one way and this kind of pushes you to think, huh, what kind of thing makes sense here and, you know, add a little bit more depth and surprise to these characters. Um, so all that, you know, after several generations and, and literally years of playtesting, I think we finally hit on something that uh, we're really proud of for uh, constructing these kind of characters with all those things in mind. It, it definitely seems that there's a very wide range of characters that can come out of it. Uh, just watching the uh, the live stream players, you have everything from characters who are uh, I'm rather out there like uh, Bubbles mm-hmm. uh, to uh, more edgy characters like uh, Starblight right. that are all just coming from the same uh, system. Yeah, and what I really liked about the the live streams that they did there in the office was that it was a mix of people who have played tons and tons of RPGs for years and years and years, and some people who were totally new to the whole thing, and they all went through the guided method and, you know, was able to put their own stamp on on these characters by the end, um, you know, with varying levels of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that was a, a good demonstration of that. Yeah, and and it at no point did it ever seem like somebody was getting you know stuck with something that they didn't want from the dice rolls. It it very much uh, felt kind of organic, and that even with the the randomness, there was a certain directedness to oh, this is the one I want to try. Of these three options, this one sounds the best to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how you end up getting characters like Bubbles, you know, as as part of the process. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I guess uh, the other thing about the the flip side to character creation is character progression, and mm. the and Sentinels takes a, a very interesting, uh, I kind of want to say, stance on on it in that your character's mechanical abilities don't really change in a kind of upward direction, they rather kind of move laterally to choose a different option, but never, you never feel like a character, you know, 15, 20 sessions in is going to be mechanically so much better than a character, you know, in their first session. Right. Yeah. And again, that's another place where we wanted to make sure all characters can contribute. Um, The area where they become more just, you know, strictly more powerful is, when you you have a lot of back issues that get turned into collections and then you can cash in those collections to, you know, get benefits in every issue you play through. So if you have like five collections because you've been playing this character for 30 sessions, you have a lot you can do because you have all this comic book experience you can call upon, but it's still not that you're, you're leveling up and you have all D12s and everything because that's really not how most comics work. You know, there's, change and there's growth and there's some additions, but ultimately, um, you know, these superheroes don't get 
stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, they get more experience. They, you know, have different things that they can call back upon until they get, you know, rebooted or whatever. But um, it's more what they've been through and where the stories have taken them than just raw, like, I'm just better at everything than I was before. And so that that was another thing that we really wanted to uh, follow, you know, through with, uh, with how this works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've definitely, uh, in other systems, felt the power creep and felt that the uh, it didn't really feel kind of true to the, the genre of the superhero. Mm-hmm. Have these characters constantly getting bigger and bigger and having to, you know, radically ramp up the the threats of the enemies uh, to the point where there's a <laughs> there were whole shifts in genre. Right. From uh, street level to... Uh, well, uh, I guess you're fighting a world destroyer now with your right. uh, with your training and throwing knives. So, yeah, and this is an area where uh, you know all of us on the design team and at Greater Than Games are obviously we're superhero fans and we're fans of you know like a lot of other superhero RPGs that have been out there before, and so we really wanted to do something different, understanding like, hey, all these games already exist, and if you love them, great. Um, but we're not going to try and compete with them on the level of like just doing the same thing. Um, we're going to make something new, you know, that, that adheres to specific principles. And if you want to come along with us on those principles, great. Um, if any of those games work for you, you know, they, they still are going to exist. They're um, shooting for different goals. And so that was one of our kind of uh, big things going in was, we, we know other superhero games already exist, and uh, we're going to try and do some different things, not necessarily better or worse. You know, they'll be better for some styles and worse for others. Um, really just try and do our own thing that uh, stays faithful to the source material. It, it definitely shows. Uh, I, I know one of the things I'm looking forward to most when uh, playing, since uh, our, our ongoing uh, our ongoing superhero campaign uh Heroes of Pacific City is a rotating GM game, so occasionally I actually get to play a, a superhero rather than uh, playing the uh, the other side of the table. So I, I look forward to actually doing things like deconstructing my my character and just building her back up as a as a different uh, but similar hero, uh, mm-hmm. like changing her uh, power source from. Uh, being a power suit to maybe a genius background mm-hmm. or maybe tech upgrades and just seeing how the same kind of base character looks through a different, slightly different focus. And right. Uh, yeah. And, and the thing is, you know, if you go back and rebuild those characters, um, changing what those power sources are, doesn't mean like you could still have a power suit. You would still have a power suit die in your powers, for instance, but if you're going genius, then the set of abilities and, and what the power suit means to your character shifts, you know, where um, a character whose power source is just power suit is probably going to be in that suit for most of the games. But if you're a genius and it's only one of many tools in your arsenal, um, it's going to play less of a focus like you still have access to it, you know. So uh, I hope people play around with that kind of thing and, uh, and, you know, see which one really fits their character best. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about it a lot, like the uh, the variant uh, hero cards from the Sentinels card game, mm-hmm. where you you still have basically the same deck, 
but the that that core mechanic has shifted slightly. So it's not while a lot of the the actions are the same because you're playing the same cards. The the context is a little bit different based on what the uh, power is. I think uh, Arjun Adept is probably one of my favorite examples of that. Where mm-hmm. yeah, he's always doing music, but he's doing it very differently in all of his different variants. Exactly, and yeah, it's it's still recognizably that core character, but um, how they play and what their focus is uh, changes. And yeah, that's definitely something we, we tried to uh, roughly match to. This is a question from uh, from one of the uh, other members of Listen to These Nerds, Harry. He wanted to know, uh, have you ever considered a alternative rule sets for different flavors of the system? He keeps imagining the system would be really good for a spirit of adventure type game based on old pulp adventure novels? Hmm. Um, the the answer is yes. We've um, thought about uh, moving what, what we're tentatively calling the gyro system um, to other kinds of games. Um, but, you know, we kind of have to see uh, how well this all is, is received and, uh, you know, what kind of mileage we get out of it. But we definitely have had some talks about, hey, well, you know, what if we did, um, you know, some other kind of thing with it and, and where would that go? And we got some ideas there. Uh, pulp wasn't one of them, but uh, I do love me a pulp game. So that, uh, that definitely would be worth considering. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd uh, like to tell our listeners about uh, the Kickstarter or any of the stretch goals that have already been reached? I know that there's uh, the guy's book, Mm-hmm. And the uh, and the uh, the two uh, kind of more eldritch adventures that uh, have been unlocked recently, or any of the uh, upcoming books. Like I know the Dark Watch book is something uh, a lot of people are interested in. Yeah, the the Dark Watch one is is one that I definitely want to call attention to um, because, as I said, you know we're we're making a new system. Um, obviously, you know people love. Sentinel's world, but, you know, are they going to be interested in, in playing longer term campaigns and such here? And so that's really what the Kickstarter is doing is gauging interest in how much of a game this will be long term. And so if we can hit something like the Dark Watch Source Book, which is going to have a ton of stuff in it, you know, have, um, stats for, uh, the members of Dark Watch, but also villains and environments, adventure, um, even some variant stuff about uh, potentially how you make a character, like the system with the um, core of it would be the same, but some of the details might be different to fit into that setting. Um, all that kind of stuff we'd really like to do, but we really have to have the interest there first. And so we're hoping that we get there as part of the Kickstarter so we can hit that kind of source book and continue to, to put out new stuff um, and then hopefully unlock some later source books uh, at the higher stretch goals, that would be kind of the same thing that would really continue it as a game. So I'm really hoping people are interested in check it out and um, really, you know, see how far we can get and how much uh, interest we get in the whole thing. Well, I'm already a backer, so you, you don't have to tell me twice, but if, if any of our listeners out there uh, want to back a very fun superhero RPG and unlock more stretch goals so I can back more things so we can unlock more stretch goals. I, I definitely uh, tell any of our listeners to, to go check out the Kickstarter. Yep. That's definitely, I endorse this message. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on, being our first ever interviewee, and uh, for uh, spending your time with a, a frankly uh, rather uh, young podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me. Um, and uh, yeah, as I said, I, I hope you're pre- um, hope you enjoy the the remainder of Soul and Legacy, and also uh, Urban Infestation coming up. Yep. Yeah. No. Uh, it I, having read ahead to uh, Urban Infestation, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to running that for my group. Uh, so, is there anywhere uh, you'd like to be found on the internet, or anything yeah, else you'd like to plug other than the uh, Kickstarter? I on Twitter, I am Dave the Game. Uh, you can also follow Sentinels RPG for updates about the game itself, and I run the site and company Critical Hits, uh, which is Critical Hits, Critical Hits.com, or at Critical Hits on Twitter, where we've been blogging and writing since 2005. Um, we also, you know, been working on this uh, along with, you know, tons of other articles and stuff, and um, hopefully some other role-playing game projects in the future that, that people would be interested in. So, um, yeah, any of those places is good. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Dave, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, <laughs> we'll... Maybe we'll have you back if the uh, if there's another uh, Kickstarter for more Sentinels content or fingers crossed. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm.